Welcome to Point with Daryl Jones, speaker and lead pastor of the Rock Fellowship Church in Miami, Florida, and president of Point Ministries. Our goal at Point Ministries is to point you to the Word of God, where Jesus is the point. Today's message is from the Living Well series, where Dr. Jones teaches about the spiritual disciplines that build spiritual maturity, which ultimately leads to Christ-like living. Now let's join them for today's message. Well, turn with me to the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 10. And we're going to read just a few verses, starting at verse 41. It says, when the disciples heard this, they began to be indignant with James and John. Jesus called them over and said to them, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And those in high positions act as tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you will be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you will be a slave to all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Today's title is Service is King. Many of us are working very hard. We are going out of our way. We're putting a lot of effort into being great. But what determines greatness when it comes to Jesus? We want to be big. We want to be bosses. We want to be kings. We want to be queens. Every time I see somebody write that or say that, I wonder, do they really know what the responsibilities of a king or a queen really is? You know, we want to be great. We want to be all of that. But when it comes to what Jesus has to say about greatness, are we working on the wrong assignment? Are we putting a lot of effort in to the wrong direction where we're working hard? We're actually doing good work, but we're receiving an F because what Jesus determines as great we have regarded as lesser than. In this passage, Jesus is dealing with these two disciples, uh, James and John. These are the sons of Zebedee. These are professional fishermen. Many regard them to believe that they were probably well off. Uh, they probably had the sons of Zebedee or the Zebedee Fishing Company. Uh, they had some clout, looks like, throughout the Gospels. Uh, they're called the sons of thunder. So uh, they had a lot of fire behind them when it came to uh, serving the Lord, you know, and they, 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 would, they, they, they would bring it. Jesus gave them their name Sons of Thunder, too, so that means they were, they were, pretty, they were pretty, uh, pretty sharp. They were pretty rough. But what's interesting is the conversation has gone this way that we just read because they approached Jesus, and they started out, and they said, Jesus, will you, will you do something that we ask? And Jesus said, what you want me to do for you? And they said, when, we, when you come in your glory, when you, when you set up your kingdom, put one of us on the right and on the left of you. And Jesus was like, you don't even know what you're talking about, man. They, they came to Jesus like, we want Jesus, when you come back, we want places of honor. Like, we, we with you, and we want, we want to be seen, and we want to be recognized, and we want places of distinction above all else. And that's why we picked up in verse 41, because the other disciples was like, man, these dudes tripping. What did they say? The other team looking like, hold up. Like, how you, how you going to jump in front of me? Like, why can't I be on his left or right? Why y'all trying to get preferential treatment? And Jesus turns their world upside down 
and how greatness in places of esteem and where position is found. And it's not found in what we think when it comes to greatness. It's found in going low. He challenges their worldview and says, if you want to be great, you need to be a servant. And then he goes even deeper. He says, if you want to be great and have high position, you need to be a slave of all. Not my Jesus wouldn't say that. My God wouldn't say that. But that's exactly what Jesus said. And he's talking to his disciples because he wants them to understand what this means in this life to follow him. Now, contextually, Jesus has set his sights in his eyes on the cross. He is heading to Jerusalem to be crucified. And he shared with them three times how he's going to be killed how he's going to be buried, how he's going to be resurrected on the third day. And every time he says the disciples, like, I don't know what he's talking about. Like, what is he sounding crazy? Like, like, why is he talking about this? Like, like, it was even to the point where Jesus said it. And one time Peter jumped in front and was like, uh, ain't nobody touching you, Jesus. And, I re- and basically Peter rebuked Jesus. He was, it, let me put it in language today. It's like he jumped in front of Jesus like, uh, Jesus, I don't receive that. I rebuke that. You're not dying. And Jesus' response to him was like, man, get behind me, Satan. You have the interests of man, not my interests. Jesus was constantly shifting the paradigms in their minds of what his mission was and what God's desire is for us as followers. And here he instructs them that if you want to be king, if you want to be a boss, if you want to be high, it is to serve. In this passage, and when we think about this understanding of what it means to serve the Lord, what it means to serve others, there are two basic things that we find in the scriptures. And as number one is expected to serve. Now, when we talk about being a disciple of Jesus Christ, that means we are a follower, a learner of Jesus Christ. So what he does, we do. So what was Jesus' example? Right here in this text in Mark chapter 10, what did he say? The Gentiles, they, they reign over one another and they lord it over. He says, and the other ones act as tyrants. He says, not you. He tells them about serving and being a slave of all. Then he says this. He says, for even The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Now, let me me break this down because this is in first century Israel. This is the most ridiculous thing to ever be said. To say that the Son of Man came to serve. Now, why is that so crazy sounding for a first century Jew in Israel. Well, the son of man was a picture of one that was in Daniel who was given authority and dominion from the ancient of days, who would really would represent God himself and all power would be given to him and he would reign. Jesus calls himself repeatedly that son of man who's been given all authority to reign forever and ever. And then he says, and that one came to serve. It's like you being the greatest king in the world. And I go to get some food and that king is fixing your plate. 
Like, what? Well, that, don't, that don't even sound right. What does that look like? But Jesus says, he says, the son of man came not to be served, but to serve. That is a radical statement for these first century Jews who are the disciples of Jesus Christ because they're trying to reconcile. How does the one who has received all authority from the ancient days say he didn't come to reign? That's what we're waiting on you to come do. We came to, we've been waiting to serve that one. And you're saying you came to serve us. And then he goes even further. He says, not only did I come to serve, but to give my life as a ransom for many. That's He's, saying, he's literally saying, this one who is over all came to submit himself, to humble himself even to death for us. The greatest example of servanthood. The greatest example of humility. So if we are to follow his example, how dare we think we're too good to serve in certain capacities? If we're to follow him. If he is eternal, stepped out of heaven, put on flesh, lived this life for me and you, and then laid down his life, is there anything that we're too high above to do? Since he's our leader, we're expected to serve. But our service is not just to follow him. You know, service is actually an act of worship. So our service to others is really a service and a worship to the Lord. You see this throughout the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. It's interesting. When Moses went to Pharaoh in Exodus, when he went to Pharaoh, you'll see different speeches that he has with Pharaoh. One of the things that he said repeatedly, and our different Bible translations actually oscillate between how it translates this Hebrew word. Sometimes it'll say, uh, uh, let, let my people go so that we may go and worship our Lord. Sometimes you'll see, let my people go so that we may go out and serve the Lord. It's interesting, that word can be used for both. To serve, worship. When we think about serving others, when we think about serving and, and doing things outside of our comfort zone, going into places that can seem uh, detestable and beneath me, but actually offering assistance, actually serves as a worship to the Lord. Because we're humbling ourselves and we're directing that service to the Lord because, remember, we're talking about worship. Worship is God-focused. So when I come and I help and I serve you, I'm not doing it because of you. I'm doing it because Jesus loves me and you, and I want you to know it. In Matthew 14, it talks about us worshiping and serving the Lord only. In Hebrews 9.14, it says that Christ has cleansed us so that we may serve the Lord. So we have to reorient our thought processes of where we fit in this world. Paul wrote to the Roman Christian, says, don't think more highly of yourselves than you ought. We're called to humble ourselves and understand where we fit in God's plan in the world. Like we need each other. We all matter. And we all are here to serve one another to the glory of God. We're instructed, don't think more highly of yourselves than you ought, 
So when we say this, like, what does this serving mean when we talk about a spiritual discipline? It's to, one, orient your mind and think, let me get out of my own way and seek to serve the needs of others. But it goes even deeper because we're talking about even in the life of the church. Like, learning to serve in the outside world actually starts in here, in the body of Christ, as we serve one another. More from Dr. Jones in a moment. But first, during this month, with your donation, you can request your copy of Youth Matter, Kingdom Development, Kingdom Impact. This is a great resource where Dr. Jones teaches how youth should understand this time in their life's development as well as impacting the world around them to the glory of God. Go to daryljones.org, that's D-A-R-Y-L jones.org, to give and request your copy today. Now let's rejoin Dr. Jones for the rest of today's message. Now there are some motivations behind that, because I said we're expected to serve, but there are some motivations when we think about this. The first motivation is this, uh, gratitude. Like we're motivated to serve because of gratitude. And the gratitude is not just that God made you, but it's that what all that God has done. He made you. And even in your mess and in my mess, he has saved us in Jesus Christ. So our service unto the Lord, our serving in the church, wherever we may serve, wherever we may help, wherever we may offer assistance unto the Lord, is out of a heart of gratitude of what God has done for me. We see it in 1 Samuel. There's a passage where he says, Above all, fear the Lord and worship him faithfully with all your heart. Consider the great things he has done for you. So whenever you feel like, man, I don't feel like doing this today. I don't want to do that. They don't deserve that. Take a step back and think about how good God has been to you. Motivated by gratitude. But we're also, we're, we're motivated by love. We're motivated by love. Because his love for us and how that grows in us so that we may express that love to others. Motivated by gratitude, motivated by love, and motivated by obedience. Like now, now, that comes out of something because it comes out of relationship with God. It comes out of relationship and understanding that not only is he perfect, he is all-knowing. So if he tells me to do something, he sees beyond and understands beyond what I can see and understand, and he's worthy for me to trust him, so I can go ahead and just do it. So we say obedience is not so much God being harsh or wanting me to just to do something. It's that I understand who God is. So if he says so, that means it's all good. Like if a good and perfect God, an all good and perfect and all knowing God told me to do something, then that tells me he knows what's best for me. And he knows how best to use me for what he's doing. So when we talk about serving others, being a servant, being a slave to all. He's saying that I'm offering myself for the assistance and help of others, and it's involved in what God is doing. Because remember, it's all an act of worship. It's all unto him. We're motivated by gratitude, by love, by obedience. And then the last one, and it all goes together. It's not separate. They all go together. We're motivated by humility. When we get our minds wrapped around God is in control and we're following him, then we realize that as significant as we are, he's more significant. So wherever he's calling us to be, he'll take care of all the arrangements. So humble yourself. 
understand where you fit in the big picture. And yeah, you may have a certain role in the church. You may have a certain role in different aspects, and they are important. And at the same time, uh, he's in charge. And whoever is serving around you or even under you when it comes to a hierarchy or when it comes to the economy of however their organization or the church is set up, no position is more important than the other. They're all needed for the glory of God. So we, we humble ourselves. Let's understand who we are and whose we are. Don't get too puffed up because it's easy to get puffed up. It's easy to start, you know, as, as the old folks used to say, you start smelling yourself. Mm -mm, don't do that. Know who you are in Christ. Humble yourself. And that, all of those motivate us to serve God with a whole heart. And I want you to get this. We don't serve God because we have to. We serve God because we get to. He saved us. In Hebrews 9, what he said, he's cleansed us so that we may now offer ourselves in full service unto him. So this is an expectation of the followers of Jesus Christ. But then there's, there's even better news, though. It's even better news because we, we have our orders. But then he's like, man, this, this is going to be kind of hard to do. We're empowered to serve. He's given us power to go out and do all he's called us to do and to serve him. This is so vitally important, and yes, it is work. It is work. You see, Scripture after Scripture, it is, we work for the Lord. It is, it is labor, but yet it's, it's, it's not burdensome work. You know, he's, we've, he's taken that yoke, and he's put an easy yoke on us. So that as we serve, he's given us the strength and power to do so. And when it comes to serving in the church, meeting the needs of the church, he's given us the power to do so. And one of the major ways he's done so is in what we call spiritual gifts. And our spiritual gifts, we see this in 1 Corinthians 12, in Romans chapter 12, and in 1 Peter 4. And we see these lists of spiritual gifts and how we serve one another within the body. And these are not just natural abilities. These are abilities that we've been gifted by the Holy Spirit in his sovereignty according to 1 Corinthians 12. Meaning, you can't learn, work for, or earn a spiritual gift. I can't teach you a class on how to exercise your spiritual gift. What I can do is to show you and teach you about spiritual gifts. And what's interesting about that is through serving in different capacities in the church, sometimes those spiritual gifts start to manifest themselves and you learn what you've been gifted to do. We do it all within the context of building one another up. And that's Paul's argument from 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. That's why, check this out, you know, you go to weddings and they read that love passage in 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious. Love does not boast. Y'all know that that passage is not in the context of a wedding. It's actually in the context of how we serve one another in the church. So he's saying, look, some of y'all think you're more important because you got a certain gift. What are you dealing with? Some of y'all think y'all more important because you got a gift of prophecy. Some of y'all think y'all more important because you got a gift of speaking in tongues. Some of y'all, you think you're more important because you got a gift of teaching. And he has to get to in the middle of the whole argument is that what love is, and we serve and exercise our gifts in the context of love for God and one another. When you read the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, it's written in the context of plurality. So that peace and patience, 
and self-control and, and kindness and gentleness is not talking about just you individually, but it's talking about us collectively and how we serve and treat one another. It's all about community. And I, I can't say it enough. We don't grow in Christ's likeness in isolation. We grow together, y'all. And this serving is all to his glory. You may think something is insignificant when it comes to serving, and yet it's a big deal because it's all about eternity in Christ. It's huge. And he gives us the power to do so. And yeah, everybody don't have all the gifts. Only Jesus had all of them. And yeah, some people may have more gifts than others. They're not more important as God has a call on their life. All your experiences and talents and gifts, do, do you use them for the glory of God? We're modeling Christ, we're following his example, and we're empowered to do it. When God gives you and has given you purpose, we're all waiting on it. Because I can't do what you do. Like, we're all waiting on it. Like, something's missing, and we're waiting on you. That's how vitally important your participation is. You know, we're all waiting. It's like we all got different fingerprints. We all got, we're all different. Think about that. Think about that. Think about how unique each one of us is. I'm always sad when I see people trying to be somebody else, look like somebody else, get surgery to look somebody else. I'm like, God made you unique in his image. Be satisfied in that. Thrive in that. Because we need you. The world needs you. The body of Christ needs you. And as you're exercising that within the body of Christ, then it begins to go out and impact the world. That's how vitally important you serving the Lord. And your service in the church is a service and a worship of the Lord. The human body is made up of so many interdependent parts. And we all know we're sick when something is wrong, right? <laughs> all it takes is one thing in our body not to be working like it's purpose to that the whole body suffers from it. You know, I've, I've even seen where, where babies are born and everything is good except one chromosome. And that one chromosome that's defective affects the whole body in adverse ways. Now wrap your mind around that when it comes to the body. I say that because with us as the body of Christ, every last one of us matter. And we all have purpose and God wants to use us so that we may thrive. But when one of us is not in place or functioning as it's been purposed, we all suffer. We all suffer. And we, all, we all try to keep going. You know, that's why some of us, sometimes in the church, when a lot of us are not functioning like we should, it's kind of like, you know, the, the church is like walking with crutches and got a cast on. We're still going. We're still giving glory to God, but we, we, gotta, we, we, we hampered. And we're waiting on that thing to get right so everything can be functioning. When we think about our service, think about it. It's unto the Lord for his glory, and we build one another up as we serve also as a witness to the world. Of who Jesus is. So is this spiritual discipline that we build up? If you want to grow in godliness, start serving more. 
Not with a heart that's begrudgingly. Not with a heart that's like, man, I got to do this. No, with a heart of gratitude that's motivated by gratitude and love. And, and this is what my Lord wants me to do. And, 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 and I'm humbling myself under the mighty hand of God. And I understand that he's purposed and he's gifted me to serve in his capacity. And when you get to serving in church, you may serve over here and realize that's not the place for you. You may serve over here and realize that's not the place for you. Like, if, if, if you don't like to smile, we'll work on that. But, you know, we might, it might not, you know, you might not need to be a greeter, okay? You know, we need to greet it to smile, you know. First face you see when you come to church. You know, you don't be standing there and be like, hey, good morning, how you doing? Programs over there. Mm-mm. We, we, we got somewhere else for you to serve, okay? We got somewhere else for you to serve. But well, sir, start serving, start getting involved, start doing things because it's in there that you start to learn what you're capable of doing. You may learn and you find out you got this gift. And sometimes your gifting by the Holy Spirit is not what you do in the world. Now you, you, you may be an accountant in your world. You think, oh, God want to use me for that. No, actually, God may have something else for you to do in the church. It's not to handle the books. It might be for you to do something else. You never know. Just because you can teach math don't mean you can teach the word of God. All right? God may have somewhere else for you to serve. But then it's all orchestrated by him for his glory as we build one another up and give him glory. So as we grow in our Christ-likeness, let's get in the game. Get your foot in the game. And in this game, in this battle, there's no spectators. We all on the field. Everybody got a job. We all on the field. We're all in. And we'll see God move and do some amazing things. Amen? Thank you for listening to Point with Daryl Jones. This was just one part from the current series, Living Well where Dr. Jones teaches about the spiritual disciplines that build spiritual maturity, which ultimately leads to Christ-like living. If this ministry has blessed you, we invite you to donate to Point Ministries today and request your copy of Dr. Jones's book, Youth Matter, Kingdom Development, Kingdom Impact. Please visit daryljones.org. That's D-A-R-Y-L jones.org. Your financial generosity keeps us on the air, and we are grateful for your faithfulness. And remember, keep making Jesus the point.